Welcome to Season 2 of the Adult Children Voices Across America Speakers Meeting Podcast. You can attend this meeting live on Thursdays at 6 p.m. Pacific Time using the Zoom ID 848-5208-0640, password 061120. For more information about adult children of alcoholics and dysfunctional families, visit adultchildren.org. The following speaker share from Kimba was recorded on November 10th, 2022. My name is Kimba, and I'm an ACA, and I am very, very grateful to be here tonight. It's a big honor to have been asked to speak. I want to thank Renee, most especially, who reached out to me. Um, I never thought once that I would say no. But since I said yes, I've said no a million times and taken it back. So here I am. Um, I think I'll just start with how it was. Um, I'm 58. That's how it was. Um, I was born in uh, a suburban part of New York, right outside of New York City. So I lived in a very wealthy area as a child um, in a home that was a disaster. Um, my mother is my qualifying alcoholic and my father is my codependent. Um, I have one living brother who's two years younger than I am, and everyone insists that he's the older brother. And that might become clear in my story. Um, my mom drank my entire life. She always claimed to never have drank during the um, pregnancies. Um, but, you know, the, 70, the or mid 60s and 70s were an odd time. There are many pictures of us as little children with, you know, a Schlitz can or a Schaefer bottle or, you know, like it was just fun to hang out with the kids and watch them drink beer cans. Um, life was never routine for me as a child. Um, I had a very lonely childhood. Um, and since the day I remember being alive, I have felt until I got into the doors of ACA, I have felt that there was something essentially wrong with me and my life, and my decisions. And I hated being a victim. So I would resist that at all turns. Um, I came into these rooms through the doors of the beverage program. Um, I got to start there because I've kind of decided that this evening I'd like to break down my recovery into some life-defining moments. So the very first life-defining moment I'd like to talk about is the day I came into the into the beverage program. Was the day I got sober from substance, and I was only 24 years old. So it was 1987. So um, the milieu in New York was a very fast-paced milieu. Um, I was heavily into a lot of drugs and alcohol. Um, I had come straight out of my family that way. Uh, I left my family of origin home at 15. I left my father alone. My mom left us when I was nine, when I was 11, and finally again when I was 13. Um, my brother and I did some juggling around about who would live with who, um, and we flipped back and forth. We had a lot of autonomy in it. We had way too much autonomy. We had no parents. So we moved back and forth. Everybody drove back then with a Molson bottle safely secured between our legs, um, I learned how to drink. I mean, I learned how to drive drinking. So I am not proud of that. I will say that because my sobriety date is such a turning point, it's such a life-defining moment for me. Um, the reason for that is that I became for myself. The very first thing that happened to me in, in, in the beverage program was I got a higher power. 
So it was the first time in my life that I had a higher power and I knew I was here for a reason. Okay. So I did my thing and I went and, and, and I was a 12 stepper for a very long time. Um, I was not taking care of myself. However, I wasn't perfect at it, but I tried to be perfect at it. I was a perfectionist child. I was the eldest. I gained approval that way. I lost my identity in doing that. I could look at anyone in the room and figure out what I needed to be in the moment. It started when I was born. My brother said to me, when my father died um, in May of 2021, um, I was very close to my father. And he said, oh, you must be relieved. And I was so pissed. I was so sad. And I felt that my foundation had just been rocked and I lost my dad. My brother was cold about it. And he wasn't very close to my dad for very obvious reasons. My father was not nice to him. I was the apple in daddy's eye. He said, I said, how could you say something like that to me? You're my brother. And we're standing over our dead father. And he said, well, he said, our father made you his mother the day you were born. And that is what happened to Kimba. My identity was robbed. My authentic personage was robbed by my father's needs from the day I was born. He transferred every need and all of any love he ever had onto me. So I became his reflection, not my mom's. I always thought that because I became an alcoholic that I was mom's little reflection. But what I was was much more so afflicted by the cold, searing, shut down, emotionless father that I went to all day, every day for approval. So I danced a lot and I danced perfectly. Um, the second, remember that I somehow mattered because I got sober. So I felt like I had something to give to this world as a sober woman. When I was 31, I decided to become a single mother by choice. And uh, I was living in Woodstock, New York. There's a couple of people in this room that were right there on that day. Um, and we, my sober girlfriends and I, had a baby. <laughs> and this was an amazing thing. It changed so many of my sober girlfriends' lives, right? Um, and we raised this beautiful ch child together. It, it was a village that raised a child, right? Um, at that point, I did not live anywhere near my family of origin. Uh, I had a very estranged um, relationship with my mother and my brother. My mother was also sober in the beverage program. Um, we more or less came at around within a year of each other. She came first, then me, then I came in. Um, when the second defining moment of my life was when I became a mom for the very first time. And that was November 7th, 1994. So my eldest son just turned 28 this week. That day I realized that defining moment gave me this message. I am not alone. So I had a higher power. I didn't really know how to use it. And I knew I wasn't alone. But it was just me and my son against the world. Then a very, very, very um, Kimba-like thing happened. Um, I've always been a person of extremes and... Since I wasn't using a substance at the time, um, I was not emotionally sober. So I was actually just a para-alcoholic wandering around, going to meetings and raising a son. Um, 
it showed mostly behaviorally in my relationships. I picked up lots of men. And what I would do is, as a very good ACA, I would choose men who were pitiful or needed help with their entire lives. They needed jobs. They needed an education. They needed to be raised. They needed clothes. They needed a, a place to live. And they needed me, most of all. So I would um, you know, fall in love with those men and invite them into my world and invite them into my home with my son. Um, I have a repetitive nature of this throughout my life. So it never stopped until I got into the doors of ACA, which is a fourth defining. So we'll back up. Um, I got stuck in my family homes. Um, the trauma of the war zone I lived in. My father was an executive in New York. He was also an international drug tra uh, trafficker on the side. My mom was an active um, alcoholic and used drugs. Um, when we got sober and came into the beverage program, nothing else changed. Okay. So everybody acted the same. There was just no substance around. So we hated each other and we split up. So the four central family members, myself, my brother, my mother, my father, we weren't very close. But when I had this son, my father came back. And retired from his job of, you know, 47 million years as an executive and came to live near me, to be near his one and only grandson. And four months later, I moved to Easter Island to follow a man. And I made sure that I got pregnant before I left with an indigenous Easter Island child, which is my eldest daughter. And we got on that plane. I got on that plane with a six month old and a four year old. And I went to the most isolated, inhabited place on the planet for almost two decades. And I left the world. And I lived in a tribe. And my children had a beautiful life. And I would never choose a different life having done that. Because the climate in this country was not apt for me to raise, I then had four biological children as a single mother. Now, because I had met the man and moved to Easter Island, I had a movie. Because that's what Kim does. She makes a movie and then she hires the actors. And then the actors come in and play the movie. Right? It crashed. I chose... Again, a man that I had to build and make and form and raise and pay for. So I had five children. Um, and then I traded him for a younger model. And that man was a pedophile. So my dangerous behaviors around um, my non-emotional sobriety uh, caused myself and my children a great amount of damage. Um, I created. Uh, I recreated PTSD in my, my own family, uh, just as it had been delivered to me in my family of origin. And I recreated it as if it were a template and never knew. I thought I was the greatest mother in the world. I read the continuum concept before I had Julius. And the woman spoke about raising a child in an indigenous tribe. And I took it. And I did it. And I went to Easter Island and I nursed four kids for 11 years and I became a member of their society. 
and they hated me for five years. And then I became a part of them. And then they wanted to keep my children. And then I woke up. I had a relapse, uh, a substance relapse on that island. I drank for a year while all four children of mine were on the ground. And I am extraordinarily ashamed for that year. And I carry that shame. And I'm reparenting that shame today in ACA. Um, I will skip through the details of 18 years of living in a primitive culture. Suffice to say that my children never had a cell phone. They had no running water and they had no electricity. They spoke three languages. And the first one was sent to boarding school from the island when he was 13. I sent him here. He came home. He stayed with my dad. He came back for one year and we interviewed him and he came to one of the finest schools in this country. Uh, and he spent three years there. And when I went from Easter Island to Massachusetts to see my 18 year old son graduate from high school, my life changed again. And I went home to Easter Island and I decided I needed to give this opportunity to each and every child I had. I'm gonna back up a little bit and say that I was called into my son's school and he was the smartest kid they had. And I was told that I needed to get him off of Easter Island because he was, he was a bright child who was under stimulated and that he would eventually become a danger to himself or society. So I worked with a quickness to get him out because he was that bright. And that son has finished his, his, his education now. And he went to Harvard and then he was Marshall Scholar in Oxford. And he was graduate, he graduated with a doctorate last this summer and he's got his first job. So my first son has his first career job now. And I, and this is pertinent for me because I have three other children that are also alive and well and very different. And they've had to live in almost the shade of this tremendous um, accomplished son who they love very much. When I went back to Easter Island to get my other children, um, I had to send my girls, there were no money. I had to send my girls alone to the United States and they came at 12 and 14. Um, their transition has been difficult. I came a year later. Um, my daughter, my youngest daughter was maybe 14. She, she learned how to speak English for the first time. And these kids were really um, were working hard to be here without me. I thought I had created mini Kims that could survive this world and they were fine. <laughs> I did. I created mini Kims and they all are going to end up in this room if God is good. And my, I came home finally with my, my last kid. Um, I came to the United States in January of 2015 and I rebuilt my life here at the age of 50 something, um, it was very difficult. I, uh, my, my youngest daughter's boyfriend suicided uh, two years into my being back. He was an integral part of our family. My children come from a tribe, so they tend to travel in hordes. Whenever my kids are hanging out, they hang out in packs of 15. This child lived with us almost on the daily. And one day the next, he was gone. And that was a defining moment for my family. The bottom fell out. My life was a mess. And I realized that my husband 
was a pedophile and had molested my daughter. I say this with the most immense amount of shame because it happened to me in my own home. I was, I was the victim of regular child molestation in my childhood home, and I swore, promised, begged, prayed on my knees that this would never happen to my children, and it did under my watch. My life fell apart. I brought all the children to a sober coach. I got, I ballasted the boat. I pulled us all back on. We all went to therapy. My young son and I went back into uh, AA at uh, with a fervor because he had already had a drinking problem at 16. From that defining moment of that boy dying, I decided there was going to be no more dysfunction or deception in my world, in my home, and in my life. No more relationships for Kim. That was the first thing I did. My dad is the fourth and final defining moment. I lost my father in May of 21. My mother had sent me, my, my mother, my biological mother has been in these rooms for 11 years. I have been estranged from her for those years, not because I wasn't sober from substance, but because I couldn't maintain her boundaries. I couldn't allow, I couldn't have a conversation with my emotionally sober mom. That's how unsober I was coming into this program. So I would like to talk about what it was like for me to come into ACA, because that's the most important thing for me. When my father died, I had nothing. My children had left the house. My stepson was living with me. I had one alcohol and drug addicted child. I had no partner. My father and I had the mortgage and I had a cleaning job and I had nothing. I held the house. We cremated dad and my journey started. I came to a Saturday morning Florida meeting and everyone there was over 80 and I loved it. And I felt accepted. It was my mom's home group in, in West Palm Beach, Florida. And they were wonderful. And I went every Saturday and I listened, never, never shared, got the big red book, started working the yellow book. Didn't have any idea about Tony A's steps, had no idea. I was working, I was doing my program. And I gotta get to my little sheets now. Now I look at notes. Okay. So when I came in, I knew I wasn't gonna use my mom as a sponsor, right? but I didn't understand why we didn't have sponsors in this program. We do, but I didn't know anybody with a sponsor, but I wanted to do this thing right. I was gonna be perfect at ACA. Today, I finally heard why maybe we don't have sponsors and why we have fellow travelers. Because if I had come in in May of 21 and chosen a sponsor, let's guess what I would choose. <laughs> I would have chosen the, 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 the not wellest woman in the group by the nature of who I was, right? My nose is that perfect. So I still had a wild inner drugstore going on. I started with the Daily Reader. Um, strengthen my recovery. And I started with this podcast. And that's why I'm so grateful for Voices Across. I have listened to every Voices Across America podcast at least three times. <laughs> it has been the, it, it was the very beginning and the middle of my recovery. We're not at the end yet. I do it almost every day. 
and I don't care that I listen to it every day and over and over again, I hear different stuff each time from you. So I have a little list of the things that I do today for my recovery. Okay. The daily reader is a big one. Um, I choose to use one that's called, excuse me, Beyond Belief, Agnostic Musings for a 12-Step Life. And I absolutely adore it. I meditate every day. This was the big game changer. I am not a Buddhist meditator. And I'm not disciplined enough to be a Zen practitioner. I can barely sit still for 30 seconds. But I have learned how to meditate. It is a practice. So it was my first practice in non-perfectionism because I couldn't take it. So I started with Sarah Blondin and I did lots of guided meditations. And then I moved on to Tara Brack, Brock. And then I got the Dharma seed. And boy, when I hit the Dharma seed, I could plug in my entire workday. Then I was with Cornfield. Then I got into the big guys and I started to really understand meditation for what it was. Meanwhile, I'm working my ICA program, doing my steps. Meditation is in practice. All of a sudden, I notice through a fellow traveler in, in the rooms, I can do a 10-minute mindful meditation guided practice and restart my entire day. I don't care if I'm on fire. If I can do a 10-minute anywhere, in the car, at a bus, under a bridge, it doesn't matter. If I can get 10 minutes alone, I can restart my entire day and I'm on ground. It really works for me. I'm a big prayer and praying's when I talk. I don't listen in prayer, so I'm talking to God. My favorite is the seven-step prayer. I've been using it since my beginning days in the beverage program. And I have it comes with a cautionary warning. This is where they say, please be careful what you pray for because you will get it. I have never taken an issue to the seven-step prayer without truly wanting it to be absolved because the next day it's gone. It's actually three days. <laughs> um, in ACA, I stopped eating sugar because I had Lyme disease. And yes, my program helped. Um, and I also stopped tobacco. Unbelievable. I promised myself I'd go to the grave with those <laughs> because I'd given up everything else, of course. Um, and I left it behind. And I did it through this program and that prayer, which is still stuck to the door over my light switch because I would pray it every day. Um, fellows, fellow traveling is the most important thing I've ever done. I've never had a friend like you. I've never had a friend who listens. I've never had a friend who can give me their own opinion, wisdom, strength, and hope on something I said about me. And I've never been able to receive except from you. And I still can't, but I'm working on it. But I can receive from fellow travelers in ACA. I feel safe enough. I work my steps every day, especially one, two, three, eleven. 11. Um, I like the Tony A steps because I love clarity. I really feel as though clarity has brought me closer to me. And that's where I'm heading. I listen to podcasts. Oh, boundaries. Okay, so boundaries were something that I needed uh, probably 6,000 years ago. Sorry for the ding. In, um, in, a, in a home filled, mired with dysfunction and addiction, there are no boundaries. I am you, you are me, your drugs are my drugs, your alcohol is my, my alcohol. It started when we were little. And my father would say, 
if I come in that door from work and there's not one beer left, there'll be hell to pay. I left that house at 15. We weren't even allowed to be drinking by law. But you knew you were leaving that one beer. But we drink them all, minus that one beer. Um, I needed boundaries. I was in therapy. We were trying to pull the house back together. Zach had died. I, those children, my children, my biological children ran roughshod over my life on the daily. A single mom, my old father, who was 86, seven in the house, really losing it. And this ACA, I've got an, a 17 year old, a 19 year old, a 21 year old, and a 25 year old. I mean, I didn't know whether I was coming or going. I had the cars were getting stolen and wrecked. The keys would be under my dad's desk. He stopped driving 10 years ago. They were blaming him. I mean, things were going on. It was crazy. So boundaries needed to happen. This was really scary. I started four years ago. I would physically grab my butt and squeeze it. And I'd make myself say it. And the, I would say it as flat as I could. I'm going to have to ask you to not speak to me in that tone. I, I was like R2D2. And then I would shake and rattle and feel guilty. Today, it's amazing. Today, it's a practice like meditation. So today, I know I need a boundary in a relationship, in a situation, at work, when I don't feel well. When my body starts to feel crappy and I start to hear my heartbeat in my ears, or I start to feel that tingly sensation in my hands, something's up. I'm alerted. It's time for me to have a boundary. I need safety. I look for safety in boundaries. I could not have a relationship with my adult biological children today without them. So because they come from a tribe, they generally feel as though they can kind of move in and out of my own personal home at will. We have made a boundary. I found my young son. Um, he had left my home at 15. As I said, he was very addicted. Um, I found him. I prayed. Let me go back. Seven step prayer. I prayed for a soft landing for him. I knew he would bottom. I just, I needed it to be soft. And one day I found him on the kitchen, I mean, on the living room chair. And that was a pretty soft landing. Four days later, I said, son, are you here to stay? He said, yes, mom, if I could. So we do get what we pray for. And today I can be a better source of strength, wisdom, and hope for that child. And I get a second round. This is a gift. Um, part of my today, part of my ACA today is to maintain healthy boundaries and relationships with my adult children. It is also to have relationship, a relationship with my inner children. I have an inner six-year-old who was stuck in my primary home um, when my body was um, violated. That child is stuffed. Her feelings are stuffed. She's embarrassed and shamed, and she has a tight throat. So I have to soothe her with gentleness. I have to soothe her with quiet. I have to soothe her like I would soothe any other child. A lot of times I just come to my room and it's, I feel calm here. I also have an inner 13-year-old. She got caught in the crossfire when my parents separated and the drugs were running and people were coming into my home and I was waking up to older uh, 20, 30-year-old men 
and lots of drugs. Um, it was a scary time. That 13-year-old probably got me through my high school years and sped me up. She could study like a wild woman and she was an amazing performer. She could do everything perfectly and she kept a tidy home for my dad. Mom was gone. She didn't drink, but she smoked. By the time I turned 15, I left that house and went to college. I went to college in the Bronx, of course, because I make very scary decisions. While I was in college at the age of 17, in my second year, I met and went to live with a man who was in the mafia. I lived with him until he died. He was killed. As, as again, I have to say, I made very scary decisions for myself. I did graduate from college. I went to graduate school and I graduated with a doctorate by the time I was 23. Actually, I was 22. I was the youngest doctor to, to, to be graduated from that school and I didn't know how to tie my shoes. So I went out and I worked as a nurse for another five years. Self-esteem, nothing. You could give me papers. You could hang them on the walls. You could give me accolades. I still just wanted to clean your house. I couldn't do it. I couldn't assume it. So back to my ACA. Today, I live in it. I live in the flip sides of the laundry list. I was in, I was mired in every single 14 laundry list traits. Today, I have small bits of approval seeking. I have to be careful. I can be in, I can catch myself in states of denial and still seek approval from you. I want you to like me. In the end, I want you to like me. We're frightened by angry, angry people and any personal criticism. I can be crushed by one insult still today. And then I can reparent and then I can get a perspective and then I don't have to have crappy behaviors or hurt myself for it. We become, oh, we either become alcoholics or marry them. Well, that's, I mean, that's my entire life, okay? And we're not there now. Um, seven, we get guilt fillings when we stand up for ourselves. You just have to grab your butt. It works. Become addicted to excitement. Another one I fall into denial around. I love excitement. I think I always will. So the fact is I allow myself some periods of excitement, but then I, re I regulate. You know, I can't take all that jam and fun anymore. I get a headache. I got to rest. So I can't, just can't do it all, all the time anymore. Stuff my feelings, do you think? I just last week felt the first feeling in my body from an emotion. I was mired in fear and I felt my hamstrings twitching. And I thought, well, there it is. I'm trying to run. So. I have started reading so many books in ACA. Here are my faves. Gabor Mate and Daniel Mate are my favorite two human beings on the planet right now. The Myth of Normal is absolutely my go-to book. I've had it read to me on Audible three times last week. Um, I'm on the fourth review. Stephen Porges, I think, is the new god for me. The Polyvagal Theory, I run the ladder all day long. I live in the Polyvagal Ladder now. I know that I can look at my own son differently today. I can look at him as if he is an expression of his nervous system, not my moral failure. My shame lifts. Yeah, my shame lifts. Um, sponsorship. I am not a sponsor. 
but I'm an excellent fellow traveler. And I have two ladies, one of which is in this room, and I'm looking right at her, who I spend an hour or some with every week. I call Sydney, Australia, and I get on the phone for an hour, and I talk about the work we do together one-on-one -on -one in the Adult Loving Parent Guidebook. And that guidebook is so intense that it takes sometimes two-hour sessions to get through one page. And guess what? That's fine. I have the rest of my life to work that book, and I am loving it. And with another fellow who might be on this, this in this meeting right now, but I'm not sure, we do Tony A's steps together. So for my Tuesday night, I'm, to, I'm Tony A, and my Wednesday night, I am doing my adult loving parent work. And it's one-on-one, -on -one, and I feel like I'm really working this work. It is in my fiber, and it's replacing the trauma little by little. So since I, um, oh, and I want to ma mention, um, obviously, Pete Levine. Peter Levine, um, all of the somatic experience work is brilliant. And I did four years of somatic experience work and graduated without ever feeling anything in my body. Mm -hmm. Took ACA for that. And I am so grateful. And obviously the Pete Walker. Complex PTSD for me is the crux of my healing. I am, my name is Kimba and I'm an ACA and I am a fawn fight. And I can't tell you how much it helps me to know that what I do when I'm threatened is I lay down and I try to figure out how I can help you, right? So, and then when that doesn't work, I jump into my inner 17-year-old and I fight like hell <laughs> and I make all the rules. So I would just like to say, to wrap this up, I am the most grateful woman to be able to say that I'm an ACA today. I don't believe that I would be here in the full form that I am today. Um, the last five years, I think of all of our lives cumulatively, has been so difficult. I think the, the environmental climate, I think the, the very fact that this entire world went through a pandemic together apart made something happen. And it certainly made something happen for me. I am dedicated to my recovery for the rest of my life. And now I want to live forever. Because this stuff, whether it hurts or heals or makes me laugh, it works and it heals the planet. So if I can be one more healthy person in the chain of humans, I'm not a problem anymore. And just by the nature of me walking around in wonder every day of my life, not all pissed off, not all reactive, but whole in wonder, like a small child, I can remain humble and open and willing. So for me, the key words for coming in were willingness. I was willing. My core wound is validation. I seek validation in everything, 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 everything. I was not seen, right? And I can honestly say from this heart that I love each and every one of you with all of it. And I feel safe here in this room. And that is a blessing. So this is a giant virtual hug coming from my heart to all of you. And thank you for listening to my story. God bless you.